1: Everybody, I'm Bob uh We're gonna have some fun today, and we absolutely love what has happened this morning because we have a live guest in studio. Hooray! Yippee! Caillou! Yay! All right. As the guest looks and thinks, what on earth did I get myself into? Here? <laughs> well, good morning. Welcome to our program on the fan. Hopefully you are well, and um, we should have some fun in uh, this discussion. You also are going to more than likely learn a few things as well. I'm very pleased that for our program this morning and we go from six until seven thirty, I'm Bob Salter. Um, In studio with us is someone who has a very interesting uh, background, because among her accomplishments, she's a writer, she is someone who has experienced um, a very debilitating um, immune disorder that we'll talk about as well. Uh, she's also got um, background as a singer, um, and she also has this wonderful sense of humor. That mm-hmm. She's going to share with us in the course of our discussion. In studio with us is uh, Melly Des, um, who is joining us on our program. First of all, it's nice to have you join us.
2: Good morning. Good I'm morning. so happy to be here.
1: Good morning to you. There are many areas to go in this discussion. Um, We'll talk about the book as well because that's an important part of our discussion today. I mentioned in introducing you a little bit of your background as an author, um, background in the um, music field, and the fact that you had experienced this immune disorder. And as I said to you before we started this program today, this is a disorder that I've heard of, but before our discussion today, I had not a clue exactly what was involved with this. It goes by the acronym of GBS. How do you explain what GBS is about?
2: So GBS is pronounced guillain barre syndrome. A lot of people think it's pronounced Jillian Barr, uh, which makes sense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's how most people know it. But it's a very rare disorder in which your own immune system actually attacks itself and damages the nerve cells, causing severe muscle weakness and sometimes even paralysis. My GBS came on with classic symptoms of tingling, numbness in my hands and legs. But I had been very sick prior to being finally diagnosed with upper respiratory infection, stomach virus, fevers. I had severe sweating of the skin, but it was 10 degrees out. No one could figure out what was wrong with me.
1: What did they think it was? Flu. Flu. Okay. All Even right. though
2: I wasn't testing positive for flu, the doctor said, "You're young, you're healthy, you've never had anything wrong with you. It's got to be flu."
1: So you didn't have a history of illness in your background. Nothing. Right? This came on over what period of time?
2: Came on over a period of 2 months. Started right after Christmas and this went on till February. Ugh. Wow. Till Super Bowl Sunday. That was my Super Bowl Sunday 2015. I couldn't feel my legs. What an awful f- thing to go through. And especially at the beginning of the Super Bowl. <laughs> 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 but I'm okay. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> 2015 Super Bowl is about to start, and I l- remember looking at my sister and saying, I-, I can't feel my legs. I have to sit down.
0: Mm.
1: Wow. Okay, so... You start having these symptoms. What's going through your head?
2: I'm a mother of three children. I start thinking, my God, my children. Mm. What's going to happen? What's happening to me? How will I take care of them? That's how mothers specifically, I believe, think women, men. We worry about the other people that we have to take care of. We worry about our responsibilities and our obligations. We don't think about ourselves first. But I definitely thought, this is serious. This is not flu, and this is serious.
1: So when this is diagnosed, did you know anything about this disease beforehand?
2: I knew nothing. I had never heard of it. I'd heard of something else that a lot of people get, uh, which is more common, called Epstein-Barr. Right. Uh, I'm not a doctor, so I I certainly can't speak to Epstein-Barr. But every time I told somebody that I was sick for a very long period of time, they said, oh, you should get tested for this Epstein-Barr, uh, which is much more common than GBS. Mm-hmm. But uh has some, of the, has some of those symptoms of fevers and you're sick for a very long time.
1: So the impact that this had on your life at that time and also on your family, because you had, you had three young kids.
2: Yes, who are still small, actually, but they were babies. Mm. Very small. And the effect that it had was I couldn't take care of them. One, I was devastated. Two, I was very weak. And I thought, how will I take them to school? How will I ta- take them to their activities? How will I just give them their basic needs? And my parents actually had to move in with us um, because I myself had become child again.
1: Mm. Psychologically. How did you deal with all this?
2: Not well. I think I went into a little bit of a depression, so to speak. It made me feel very vulnerable Mm -hmm. and gave me a sense of mortality that as a young woman I had never faced before.
1: And when we're talking about GBS, is there a treatment
2: Yes, I believe the front line of treatment that's usually given is something called IV-IG. And what it looked like to me, honestly, was this clear sludge that went through an IV that I received for six days. But I believe the correct term, is a blood plasma that coats the nerves, basically calming down the inflammation so you don't feel that numbing and tingling. But it was very painful uh it's painful to get because it causes your blood to thicken that goes to your brain and my head just pounded for six days straight oh my gosh six days straight how did you deal with that um i was hospitalized at columbia presbyterian on 168th street and they took very good care of me and they um You know, you you have to be inpatient for this kind of a treatment.
1: I would imagine, yeah.
2: I know some people do it outpatient, but inpatient is definitely the way to go uh, because it's painful and difficult to endure. Mm.
1: When you're looking at your life after being diagnosed in this fashion um, and you are trying to move forward, okay, what was it that kind of – was a turning point for you in recovery?
2: I think the turning point for me in recovery was the day I woke up and said, you got to get back to being you. I would look in the mirror and I didn't recognize that girl looking back at me. I was always a doer, a giver, going 24, you know, 24-7. If there were eight days in a week, I'd, I'd try and work them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But honestly, I think the turning point was the day one of my sons woke up and said, Mommy, are you still sick? And it had to have been about four months into rehab, physical rehab that I was going through and not being able to drive. And you just say, you know what? I'm getting out of this funk and I got to get out of it today.
1: Mm. Okay. Saying that. And actually doing that, I would imagine, are two completely different things.
2: Well, yeah, because you have to get your mind to catch up with your body Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Um, But I did complete the physical rehab. I was there for almost six months. And slowly but surely, things started to feel better. Summer came. I started to hear the laughter of my children again and um, started feeling good. And having a positive outlook and prayer and leaning on my family. And, of course, my best friend, Jules Morrison, co-author.
1: How did you and Jules meet?
2: Jules and I met uh, over 10 years ago at a mommy meetup group for stressed out mothers of newborns. It was almost 10 years ago.
1: That's an interesting way of meeting, <laughs> connecting.
2: Yeah, her eyes were half open. <laughs> <laughs> She said my voice was so loud, I woke her up out of her stupor. <laughs> well,
1: in the course of this discussion, one of the things that will come across, it may already have to people listening is, and I guess I'm asking you about the balancing aspect of this trying to maintain and maintaining a sense of humor. How difficult is that?
2: Very difficult. Very difficult. But I'm pretty good at laughing at myself. I don't take myself too seriously. No, oh, you
1: shouldn't know. <laughs> Nobody should take themselves too
2: seriously. I can't. Um, I, I think that life is way too precarious and it's too unpredictable and you can't make too many plans. I think you can agree with that.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. You always have to expect the unexpected. Um, exactly. Because that kind of keeps, also keeps things in perspective, uh, that way too. Well, we've just begun this discussion. There's a lot of areas where we can go and are going to go. We'll also get into talking about the uh, book as well. In the course of our discussion, in studio with us uh, on our program on the fan this morning, is uh, Melly Dez. Uh, she's going to be sharing some information with us. We've been talking a little bit about um, GBS at the uh, beginning of um, our program. And I want to talk about the book, um, the approach that was taken with this as well. And also, as we branch into our discussion, we'll also talk about the future and what that holds for uh, you as you look ahead uh, to in thinking about that. Um, I guess we sh- one thing we have not done um, thus far in this discussion is uh two is would you just mention the title of your book
2: disco fried
1: okay Disco Fries. We're talking with Melly Des on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. It is Sunday morning on the fan. Good morning, everybody. I'm Bob Solter. It is uh, Brian Rascona on the controls this Sunday morning giving us technical direction. And in studio with us is uh, Melly Dez. Uh, she is the co author of Disco Fried, that's with a D. And uh, she's talked with us a little bit about her experience with uh, GBS Yann Barre syndrome. And um, it's an interesting area of um, discussion. This book, first of all, let's go with that title of Disco Fried. When I first saw that title, I thought, hmm.
2: Yeah, I it's bet a- there's an
1: interesting story with this. Why Disco Fried?
2: Very. So the story takes place in Montreal, Canada, Mm -hmm. and there is a famous Canadian dish there called poutine, which is French fries, molasses, gravy, and cheese curds. In New Jersey was born disco fries, which was, uh, I think, eaten in the late 70s, early 80s after uh, nights at the disco. When we traveled... Uh, Jules and I, to Montreal, Canada, we ate these fries called poutine, and we decided that poutine was actually a metaphor for life. They are messy and delicious, like (laughs) disco fries. So uh, the title of the book is Disco Fried.
1: And why was it important to do this book and why the approach that you took with this book?
2: It was important to do this book. We wanted to bring something positive yet cathartic into the world specifically for women, although it's a great book for men. Uh, The approach was to bring to light issues that we felt aren't being discussed enough right now, which is illness, aging, friendship, marriage, infidelity. And when I say not discussed enough, there are tons of books out there, great women's fiction books. But none of those books are really talking about all of those things wrapped into one story. It's usually focused on just one thing. And not only do we touch on all those issues, but we address them in a very fun, fast-paced, comedic way. But you will definitely walk away from it And have these issues resonate with yourself. I think a lot of women will identify with the things that we talk about, what these characters endure.
1: Because you're talking about real world things. These are things that happen to women.
2: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about real world issues that a lot of people find very uncomfortable to Mm -hmm. talk about. Um, feelings of being attracted to people outside of your marriage, Uh, struggling in your socioeconomic world, you know, whichever you may live in. It's very difficult raising kids today in this socioeconomic rat race. Uh, Talking about, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about aging and magazines and everybody wants to be thin and fit and beautiful and stay young. But it's not just about physical aging, it's mental aging.
1: Ah, And there we get into one of the interesting areas because, you know, with physical aging, that's something that you can quantify with sight, quantify theoretically with touch. The mental aging is that thing that for some people they may feel almost like it slips up on them. All right? They also may feel like, It's something that they can't, and I'm going to use a big word here, control.
2: Yeah, it becomes such that mental aging is out of our control. Mm. How we look at things, how we see the world, how we suddenly interpret things. The book talks a lot about jealousy. Uh, We have become, I think, a society because of social media a society of couples um, and people in relationships that are just more jealous than ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's in our faces everywhere, this uh, Facebook and Instagram, Snapchat. It's become that we don't communicate anymore. We don't communicate like this. The human connection is now inside a electronic device. Uh, You know, sometimes I say, I'm tired of texting. I just want to reach out and touch someone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the great experiences is you go into a restaurant and you watch at a dinner table. And this happens so often. it's, It's frightening. It still makes my skin crawl when I witness this. See a couple there. They're on a date, a night out, however you want to phrase it. One person is sitting there with their electronic device. The other person is sitting there with their electronic device. And those thumbs are going like crazy. And nobody is saying a word.
2: Did you see me at dinner last weekend? (laughs) 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 It's like, Uh,
1: what happened?
2: You know what happened? I'll tell you what happened. What happened is uh, things like Nest, you know, we got to check in on our kids. So we look at our phones and it's the middle of dinner. Mm. Uh, For many men and women, it's have to check in with work, got to check that email, can't let one thing go. Mm -hmm. But we definitely spend less time communicating with each other in person, hearing each other's voices and more time hiding behind these electronic devices. And that's also one of the things that the book Disco Fried talks about is human connection and how important that is and the impact it has on all of our relationships.
1: As you think about this idea of human connection, and I, I'll i tell you in another aspect of my life, I teach college classes and I teach a college class called human communication. All right, so I'm kind of thinking of this and thinking how I can apply things in the classroom, literally, tomorrow on uh, this topic. And I think about this idea of people, despite having the world at your fingertips, literally, okay, but yet they have such poor skills and abilities when it comes to basic communicating anymore.
2: Well, because we are able to hide behind those devices and people are generally afraid to show their vulnerability. Mm.
1: And when you say that, a lot of people probably wince, but that's something I'm assuming that you also had to deal with too.
2: It's uncomfortable. Like I said, just like in the book that uh, I wrote with Jules Morris, we address topics that make people uncomfortable, that make people cringe.
1: You mentioned one of the terms you mentioned earlier, and I was jotting them down as you said. them. You talked about illness, aging, friendship, and then the big one, infidelity. You, you, just, you, just, you say that <laughs> and people wince.
2: It's not a nice word. But it's an adult
1: topic. I mean, it's it's, it it's
2: reality. It is reality. Um, and it's not discussed enough. It's much too prevalent. I think it's joked about and it's become so acceptable in some ways. Uh, again, I think due to social media, due to reality TV, due to the way we cover events in the world when we see famous couples getting divorced or getting separated. think that society really needs to return to the sanctity of marriage and family.
1: And when we look at that kind of an approach, do you think that's something that would have widespread appeal?
2: I do. I, I think that people really want that back. I think people want it back in a more progressive way. Uh, These aren't the days of June Cleaver anymore. But I think that people do crave to have, you know, that family life that's solid. And, you know, what people can lean on, you know, the family life and the marriage that people can lean on. And in our book, Disco Fried, these girls, while they're struggling with a lot of these issues that we just talked about including temptation mm-hmm. and i don't want to give away the ending of the book but at the end they realize that their marriages and their families are worth fighting for that it you have to work through things that we can't just give up um, that the light bulb has to turn on that there has to be a turning point in whatever you're struggling with whether it's illness marriage, parenting, where you wake up and say, I'm going to work on this. We're not giving up. I'm not giving up on you, and you're not giving up on me. And that's probably the recipe for the perfect marriage. It's accepting that you have two people that are imperfect, but together, that's okay. We're going to work together.
1: An interesting aspect of communication And I think also of something that I talk about in my college classes is this idea of listening. And that's something that a lot of people are really, really (laughs) bad at doing okay? because they're so focused on their next thought, their next action, that they very often don't hear what someone is saying to them, including at times things where people are really – Pouring their hearts out to you. Mm-hmm. How can we be better at listening?
2: I think that we can be better at listening if if one, if we just be quiet. <laughs> 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 I mean, I think that some people just like to hear themselves talk. Oh, yeah. Um, we all have those. Um, but Why did
1: think- you, you look at me when she said that, Brian?
2: <laughs> Thank, thanks an awful lot. Thank
1: you. I mean, us in radio, we all like okay. to hear each, each other it. talk. Uh-huh.
2: But I think that we can be better listeners if sometimes we listen more with our heart than we do with our egos. Mm.
1: The ego. And I'm glad you mentioned that term. How important is it to keep that ego in check? Not only in... A relationship, but also when you're dealing with a serious illness like you did.
2: Well, when I was recovering from GBS, I could say one of the most difficult things was, like you had said earlier, not having control of my recovery. Mm -hmm. But you have to be very careful not to become so disappointed in yourself and... It is part of all of that. It's your ego. It's what happened to me. Why can't I do this? I used to be able to do X, Y, and Z, and now I can't. And you become so disappointed in yourself. That breeds depression and all sorts of negative thoughts. Um, But you can't have a big ego when you are trying to recover from anything traumatic. I think you need to really accept that you need to give yourself time And you need to be patient. You need to give yourself time to heal. People don't give themselves time to heal because there is no time. We live in a society where we don't have time. We don't have time to be down. And people don't want to be with us when we're down. We talked about that before, right? People want to be with you when you're up, you know, when you're the life of the party. When I was sick, I can definitely say nobody wanted to be around me. I think they were kind of saying, "Oh, uh, oh, you know, how are you doing with that recovery?" Well, you know, I'm still not feeling well. Well, call me when you feel better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and people, you know, people sometimes do that, and they don't even realize that they're doing.
2: Yeah, I don't think people meant it maliciously, or meant it to be mean, or to abandon me, so to speak. But there was definitely a um, thing where people think that when you're down, that that's contagious. Mm. Don't you agree? Mm -hmm. It's like infidelity. I think Mm -hmm. infidelity, some people think, oh, that's contagious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, if that's contagious, there's a story in and of itself right there. All right, we're going to take a pause in our discussion. We're talking with Melly Dez, who's in studio with us, talking with her on our program on the fan. She's a co-author of Disco Fried. We'll talk more about the book as well as we continue on our program this Sunday morning. It is Sunday morning on the fan. Good morning, everybody. I'm Bob Salter. along at 730 this morning. It is the NFL preview program. We are in discussion with guest who's in studio with us, and we love when that happens. Melly Dez is in studio. She's the co-author of Disco Fried, and uh, she talked with us earlier about having experienced GBS, which is Guillain-Barré syndrome, and um, shared some thoughts in that regard. This book, the characters in um, your book... Why did you take the approach that you did with the characters?
2: We took the approach because we wanted to create two characters that all women could see themselves in, that all women could identify with. So we have Mina Barron. She is recovering from GBS. So she's recovering from an illness. She's feeling insecure. She's feeling vulnerable. She's reevaluating her life. She's feeling a little disconnected from her husband. She's feeling a sense of mortality. She's feeling that she has not yet realized her dreams as a singer. She's just struggling. She's struggling with a lot of issues, uh, like many women out there. And then we created Jill Stone, and Jill Stone is a writer, somebody who wants to become a um, pilot writer for movies tv she's a creative her husband isn't showing appreciation for her work she's a little quirky a little goofy and her and her best friend mina baron together they just have this magnetic energy they ground each other they encounter people in the story that all want to be in on their fun that's who they are uh, they're like a you know, a duo, a a team. And throughout the story, Disco Fried, the reader will experience all the strangers they meet and their misadventures over a three-day stint of sightseeing and bar hopping. So it's quite interesting.
1: Now, the characters that you've mentioned, um, why was it important to have one of the characters in Recovery from GBS?
2: Well, it was very important because we wanted to create a character who is recovering from an illness because illness and life-threatening events affect so many young families. And for moms specifically, we think of our kids first, and everything just falls apart without mommy because mommy, quote unquote, holds life together. I'm a grown woman, and I feel this way about my own mother still today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That says it all right there. Pretty Um. much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, without mom, you know, without mom around, honestly, I I, I don't know what I'd do.
1: These characters, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, Mm -hmm. based on anyone we know?
2: Uh, based on, this is a question that we keep getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book is not a memoir, nor was it ever intended to be one. But we did shape these characters based on our own experiences, a lot of people watching, the social circles we each travel in, and a little imagination and fantasy mixed in. mm
1: mm-hmm. What was your... I guess, hope in doing the book that those who read it, what they were going to take away from it? Or did you have that?
2: No, we we definitely hope that, the book just came out on Friday, by Mm -hmm. the way, to Amazon, but we definitely hope that the one thing that people reading the book will take away is how important it is to be happy individuals first before, A, you can be happy with anyone else, B, you can be a good parent, good wife, good friend. That's what we need people to take away, that you need to be a happy individual first. And we believe that being a happy individual is maintaining your identity, maintaining your individuality as you go through all of these life changes. Because that's what the two characters struggle with, maintaining their identity. That's what they're searching for in Montreal on this boondoggle. They're searching for self-acceptance. They are searching for something to cure them of self-doubt and insecurity mm. they're reevaluating their lives
1: and that sometimes is a really challenging step
2: very it was it was It's very challenging for all of us, I believe, and specifically for the characters that we created they are kind of going through this three-day vacation with an anything-goes mentality, but with some inside worry and really just exploring themselves. It's a journey of self-discovery, so to speak. Something that I think we all need as people. We all need to decompress. Each of us needs to step away. Really, I think everyone needs a momcation, a dadcation, a vacation, whatever it is. All of us need to just step away and just mentally reset. Don't you think so?
1: I'm, I'm beginning to think that more and more, to be very very honest with you, um, because I fall in that category of um, people who very often can get obsessed with work.
2: Yeah, that's not good.
1: And that becomes life itself, basically. And no, it's not good Uh, because it can create all kinds of problems, um, not the least of which is the toll that it takes on me or anyone who falls in that category uh, on an ongoing basis because you're constantly in stress mode. You're constantly working. To go back to something you said earlier, you know, that seven days a week becomes eight days a week. Exactly. Or nine. <laughs> because you can, you're you trying to fit as much as possible into.
2: But you will agree that relationships suffer as a result of oh. that living. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, That's a whole boy. other show, oh, isn't it? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I think we're going to need another Sunday <laughs> just to just H- dis- hang on discuss for a second. <laughs>
1: right <there with> <laughs> you like that reaction, Brian? That, was, that, that said it all. Yes, yes, they can. They can. Let me be blunt, blunt about this. They can suffer and realistically. If you don't watch it, they can be destroyed very easily.
2: Well, that's called self-destruction. I mean, you, you'd, you'd be on a path of self-destruction if you, if you can't stop that train from moving.
1: Exactly. So it becomes a matter of establishing priorities and also being able to treat yourself with a certain level of dignity
2: and self-respect. Exactly. And self-respect, yes. Exactly. Well, in the book, uh, that is one of the things that Mina Baron is struggling with. She she can't get herself together. Um, she's leaning on the support of a male friend. Mhm. And that, you know, that's that's always a recipe for disaster, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine where the story's going a, a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Woman recovering from an illness, leaning on her old guy friend from high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, people will have to read the book. I don't want to divulge too much more. Uh, but in Disco Fried, these characters are struggling with their relationships, all relationships, uh, not just marital. Uh, it, it's also about the communities in which they're living. So that, that's also something.
1: And when one is dealing with um, something like an immune disease, you know, something like GBS, you know, I mentioned earlier this idea of the toll that it can take on you physically, but there's an emotional toll.
2: Yeah, a very big one. Can there
1: also be a social toll?
2: The social toll is people don't want to see you as this new person that you are as a result of the illness that you are recovering from. They want the old you. Mm -hmm. They don't want the new you. Mm -hmm. They want the you that goes out to dinner and goes out to the bar or goes out to the lounge and to the parties. They don't want to see you as somebody who is a... uh, how shall I say, a lesser form of what they loved about you. I think that's one of the hardest things about recovering from an illness, actually, that people don't want to accept you as you are in that moment, in that moment of the recovery process. They want the you before. And we sort of touched on that. It's, it's call me when you're better.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is that a difficult thing to deal with as you are recovering?
2: Very difficult. Very difficult. Um, I'm sure some people feel even more traumatized by that. But I was able to do a good job of putting those people aside because I think I had small children, a husband, a family. I had people who depended on me and needed me. And that's what kept me going.
1: What's the greatest thing that one of your children said to you in this whole period of time in your recovery?
2: The greatest? Mm-hmm. Greatest in terms of support? Mm-hmm. Um, they were too small to really say anything like that, but they did say a lot of funny things, and um, my my middle guy just turned to me. Actually, this was recent, and he said, God, Mom, I hope you never have to go back to that hospital because that was awful. <laughs> 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 um, and he said that to me recently because I just had like a little cold or something. Mm-hmm. So they definitely get a little nervous when, when mommy says she doesn't feel well, but I assure them it's going to be okay. I'm, I'm, I have no intentions of going back to that scary hospital, <laughs> <laughs> which is not scary for the record. Uh, <laughs> Colombia is a wonderful place to be treated.
1: People who want to, more information about um, GBS, where would they get that?
2: Believe it or not, I'm going to say the internet. Uh, the web has a ton of information. The CDC has a website. They've mm-hmm. got great information, and they have updated information, which is fantastic. Uh, currently, the website says that there are around three to 5,000 people in the United States, um, getting GBS on average per year. There is also excellent information on major hospital websites, I guess because they have a, they deal with a lot of patients who come in with GBS. Mm-hmm. I have found good information at the Mayo Clinic, John Hopkins. So there's great information on the web, and if somebody is out there suffering with these symptoms that I talked about earlier, numbness, tingling, feelings of intense muscle weakness, after periods of being sick, they should definitely seek, you know, a good doctor.
1: We're going to take a pause in our discussion with Mellie Des. She's in studio with us on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. She's the co-author of Disco Fried. More with her as we continue in our 7 o'clock hour
0: this Sunday morning. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,